Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Purdle power. Purdle power. That's how we start the show today. Purdle power. I don't care what anybody says. It's funny. You can't convince me otherwise. It's funny. Obviously, it's not spelled the same, but it is pronounced the same, and that's what's important in this world, is if you can make a wordplay joke. I spent countless seconds editing Jakob Pertle's head onto Donatello's body for the Teenage Mutant Ninja Pertles. If I had a lot of time, I would have edited his head onto each Ninja Pertle. And I don't know, uh, do I put Nick Nurse's face on Splinter? I feel like I can have a lot of fun with this. I might be overestimating how much anybody else cares about my dumb graphical abilities, but, you know, again, it's a present from me to me. Anywho. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. It's Fantasy NBA Today. It's a sports ethos presentation. It's February the 15th. We are more than halfway through the month of February. We are in the final two days before the NBA All-Star break where we all get a six-day break. We get the break, too. Uh, We'll still have shows. I guess I should mention that. We'll have a show, uh, our Friday show this week. We'll um, likely just be a a recap of Thursday, which has a handful of games, not many, typical Thursday. And then a little bit of a preview of All-Star Weekend. We'll try to do a little bit of uh, handicapping skills competition, three-point contest, dunk contest, stuff like that. It's hard. The dunk contest in particular is very subjective. I don't know which player is going to come up with a good idea. It's really about which one looks dunky. And then the three-point contest is amazing. You've got, like, superstars up and down the roster. And it's harder and harder to handicap that every year. But we'll take a peek at it. And then next week... Early in the week, because the games don't come back until Thursday. We've got a number of shows to kill in there. Uh, We'll do some old man squad redux stuff. I think we'll actually have some guests early in the week just to kind of talk about what the season has meant for them so far, lessons they've learned, things of that nature. So we will still have shows. They'll be a little bit shorter. Uh, We'll try to throw a couple of them up here on YouTube as well, um, because that's become a thing now, and I feel good about kind of what we've done there, and I want to keep that going. For those listening on the recorded side, come hang on, hang, come hang out with us. I can speak over on the live YouTube side. We're going a little bit early today uh, because of family stuff. I got to pick up my kid from preschool early and get him to an eye doctor's appointment. Everything's fine, we think. Uh, likely just needs an updated prescription, but it's going to chew up the middle portion of my day and wanted to make sure we got this show out beforehand. You can follow me on Twitter at Dan Bespris. I expect at least a couple of you to do so. And if you are indeed hanging out with us over on the YouTube side, or even if you're thinking about it, please subscribe. It's youtube.com slash sportsethos, S-P-O-R-T-S-E-T-H-O-S, youtube.com slash sportsethos. Again, Dan Bespris on Twitter, and it's right there on your screen if you're watching live. Let's dive into yesterday's boxes. I will get to Jakob Pertl. It was the second game on the card yesterday. Milwaukee beat the Zombie Celtics in overtime, 131-125. 
I don't know why it took overtime. Milwaukee very clearly didn't take this game as seriously as they needed to. Celtics decided to pretty much just give everybody a break, with the exception of kind of three regulars. Derek White still played a crap ton of minutes, and he's having issues with his ear, so likely he'll miss the second half of their back-to-back. Mike Muscala is questionable with rest. Robert Williams is questionable with rest. Al Horford is questionable, uh, but intends to play during the back-to-back today. Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown have each already been ruled out. Marcus Smart's been out forever, so he's out. So you're looking at another zombie Celtics game tonight, and that's kind of the only reason we're handicapping this one, is because we get to do it two times in a row. Who's left? Sam Hauser's left. He's been really good, actually, for Boston, filling in for Jalen Brown. He is very much a streamable play. Blake Griffin, I thought he might be questionable with rest, but it looks like he might be giving it a go. I think you can probably start Grant Williams. Let me just do it this way. Which of the guys can you start? If Al Horford plays, you can start him. If Malcolm Brogdon plays, you can start him. Those are the very obvious ones. The guys that I think you can probably start would be Hauser and Grant Williams. And then the guys that you're thinking, well, maybe is like Blake Griffin and Peyton Pritchard, who probably would have to play a bunch more if indeed uh, Derek White does not end up playing in Boston's next ballgame. Pritchard is, and I pretty much did that in order of my confidence. So if you're remembering what I just said, Horford, obviously, Brogdon, obviously, those are the goes. Hauser and Grant Williams, I feel pretty confident that I can play those guys. And then in the sort of lower tier of Griffin and Pritchard, that's really... I don't I don't think I like that idea. Today's an overload day uh, for a lot of fantasy teams. It's a very busy Wednesday. What is it, 10-game card tonight? Use up a weekly roster move on that when most of the... I, some of these guys, at least, will be playing for the Celtics on the other side of the All-Star break. I don't... I wouldn't do it. I think, I think you're making a mistake. But that's where I'm at with the other dudes. I think the ones like the Hauser, you got him for the back-to-back, great. If you got Grant Williams for the back-to-back, great. I don't know that I'd make any moves additionally today. I think you kind of needed to do it when they still had two games left this half of the All-Star bye week. B-I hyphen week, not B-Y-E. On the Milwaukee side, Chris Middleton is still as a 25 minutes limit. He hit it, and he was good. I mean, he's been really good now since they've ramped him back up slowly. My guess is that they bring him along by about one minute per ball game here going forward. Might be another one at 25 coming up. Who knows? Uh, he won't play in back-to-backs the rest of the way. And at some point, he's going to get up to mostly starters minutes, at which point, you know, he'll be rocking. But he's good enough right now. Brooke Lopez had a rare super off game. I'm not worried about it. Uh, this was the Drew Holiday show. He had 40. Good Lord, Giannis. Just tanking teams that aren't punting a bunch of things right now. Crazy. Do you remember how much crap Steve Vidovich got? We put a YouTube video out before the season where Steve and I went through the first four rounds of fantasy drafts and picked our uh, our our hits and our busts. And his bust for the first round was Giannis. And man, he nailed it, dude. Giannis has been a disaster outside of punt formats, which I can't, I mean, it's kind of what you were hunting for anyway, but also I think you thought that it would be a little better than this. Yikes. 
Ah, well. Anyway, um... Yeah, let's keep moving along. The next one on the docket... I'm sorry, I got distracted by something. Toronto, 123-113 over Orlando. Jakob Purtle, 37 minutes, 30 points, 9 boards, 2 assists, a steal, 6 blocks. The most beautiful part is that the Magic didn't foul him. I don't know how we skated by in this game with Jakob Purtle not taking a free throw, but beyond the amazing line he put up, I feel like him not getting to the free throw line might be the best news of all. There was no way for him to ruin what he was doing for our fantasy teams. So, man, that was beautiful. So, Pirtle's had a weird year. There's Make no mistake. And with this ball game, he I think he just now pushes back inside the top 100. Let me double check on the exact ranking. Uh, 84, he's at on Basketball Monster. 90-something, he's at on Yahoo. I mean, that's where the the numbers separating the guys are so small that it's like, how can you even really tell the difference? Uh, but that's a, this type of ball game is the thing that's going to rocket him up the board. What we needed to remember about Pirtle and why I felt so strongly about calling him a buy low leading up to the trade deadline. You guys remember I said that on this pod for like 10 consecutive days, buy low on Jakob Pirtle is that wherever he goes, someone's taking the bubble wrap off. Dude was playing 25 and change minutes per ball game for the Spurs this year and posting value near, like, the kind of 90 to 100 range. But what we've known about Pirtle is that if he cranks it up to starters minutes, which go from 25 to 30 or 31 even, First of all, like just simple math would tell you that he probably gets about 20% more in basically every statistical category. But also, on top of that, there's the innate built-in desire to play harder. He was coasting with the Spurs. Everybody was. That's a tank team. There was no reason for him to sell out in a basketball game. Now he can go back to selling out, playing hard. I think you're going to see the steal rate, the block rate, the rebound rate. I think all of that stuff is going to improve here for Jakob. And so not only do you get the 20% bump of playing 20% additional minutes, I think you probably get another 5 to 10% bump just on effort. He profiles to me as someone who could go top 50 the rest of the way. And hopefully we were able to get him for a top 100 range guy because that's what he was to that point in the year. I got to say, like... I know I did a little bit of it on yesterday's podcast, but this year is going really well. I don't want to sound surprised. A lot of them do, but they don't all go as well. Last year was a little bit more of a slog. You know, we were fighting. All the COVID absences were so brutal. We were falling behind in games played. You had to stream weirdos to try to make up ground. And so last year was like, okay, can we scratch and we claw? Can we get some seconds and third places? Scratch, claw. I, I did win one of my... My public roto leagues, but I had too many leagues. So it was hard to keep track. Everybody was injured. Everybody was a streamer. Last year was annoying. Crap went, like, our late picks didn't hit last year. Year before that, they were going okay, and then everything shut down, so it didn't matter. I mean, I was, we were kicking ass that year. Year before that, I think, went relatively well, too. This year's going very, very well. If Kevin Durant would get his butt back, then we could really, like, Lock it all in. But it's fun. It's fun when things are working out. And this is another one. Jakob Pertl. You probably were able to turn 
you know, an eighth round pick into someone that might be a fourth the rest of the way. It's a big deal. No other huge pieces of news in, uh, from Toronto. Uh, Gary Trent sat this one out again. Junior, sorry, he's a junior. Um, so Precious Achua gets to stick in the starting lineup. I don't know what's going to happen there when Trent Jr. comes back. My, it seems like he might come off the bench and be that bench gunner, which actually he he was pretty successful in that role earlier this year. Um, so I wouldn't worry too much about it. On the Orlando side, uh, Jonathan Isaac sat this one out on the back-to-back, which meant that uh, Bull Bull got 16 minutes instead of like 13, but you know, it didn't change a whole lot. The, the real news on the Orlando side was Cole Anthony sat this game out and Jalen Suggs played better, but you couldn't pay me enough to roll the dice on Jalen Suggs. His fantasy game terrifies the crap out of me. Points League is a different animal. I ought to be careful when I talk about this stuff. So, rephrase. You couldn't pay me enough to take Jalen Suggs in 9-cat. You could pay me enough to take him in a points league when Anthony sits. But otherwise, you know, again, this is again this, the Steve Stifler, I don't know, it feels like a lot of work type of moment for trying to squeeze a game out here and there. Uh, otherwise, we've seen Markel Fultz play really well lately. That's been nice. He's kind of settled in. He was someone that uh, we talked about as a stash at the beginning of the year. It took him a while to kind of get his feet right, but he's clearly their guy. Uh, so we rumble along. Phoenix over Sacramento. Um, Josh Okogie, I owe you an apology. I said on yesterday's podcast that I, I didn't think he would have the usage with all of the guys here, minus Kevin Durant, but he still had the usage. He played 39 minutes. That was a team high for Okogie. Uh, 19.6 boards, 3 assists, continues to shoot the ball weirdly well. TJ Warren only got 7 minutes. Uh, I do think that once Kevin Durant is in there, there's just not going to be anything for anyone besides Durant, Paul, Booker, and Aiton. But in the very short term here, and I think the Suns have one more game before the All-Star break, right? They go tomorrow. Phoenix play Thursday. Anybody on YouTube hit me in the... Yeah, they've got, they're hosting the Clippers tomorrow. Uh, so you might be able to get one more game out of Okogi, and then I think the hope, their hope uh, is that they will have Durant back uh, after the All-Star break. I think that's what they're they're gunning for. So no real news on the Phoenix side other than, yeah, you might be able to get one more game out of Josh Okogi. For Sacramento, uh, I've seen my... my I follow a lot of Kings people on Twitter. Um, you know, founder of our website, Aaron Bruski, who you know, is more about Kings basketball and pinky finger uh, from all these years covering them. He's He's been pointing it out and... There's been this weird this weird Kings realm pushback that I've seen, and I can understand both sides of this. And I don't want to get too far down this rabbit hole, but I, sometimes I talk to Brew uh, about the Kings, and he's like, everybody hates me over there. And I'm like, you know, honestly, dude, I think, I think they just hate not, like, having to think about the negatives. Because when a team's been bad for that long, they don't want to think about the stuff that is or can go wrong. So in this instance, I feel like both sides are actually right in different ways. And what I'm talking about here is Brew has pointed out a number of times over the last year that De'Aaron Fox is the key to that team winning. When he was bad last season, and Fox was bad last season, the Kings were awful. And Fox has been unreal this year. I would argue the best fourth quarter player in the NBA this season. And then Demonis Sabonis... 
Like, you love his offense, but defensively, he is an absolute train wreck. And so how do you sort of reconcile those two things? Well, King's realm, they sort of don't want to hear it because they, they I think they just want to enjoy having a slightly better team. And at the same time, you kind of can't put your head so far down in the sand to see, okay, well, you know, our upside is capped if we can't stop anybody from going to the rim. And they can't right now. But there isn't really a choice. So from a fantasy standpoint, there's nothing to worry about. Sabonis is going to put up his big numbers. Fox has been amazing. Keegan Murray is going to go up and down a little bit because his job is mostly just to hit three-pointers. Kevin Herter has been better lately because Malik Monk has been out, but he's been kind of fringy otherwise, and everything else stays the same. Harrison Barnes, remember early in the year, I just kept saying, I don't think there are enough shots for him. I don't think there are enough shots. And then for like three weeks in a row, he just kept hitting six out of eight shots every ball game, and finally I was like, I guess you can play him while he's hot. And then, obviously, the other shoe drops at some point, and he hasn't had enough usage. Not with good De'Aaron Fox and offensively very skilled Demonis Sabonis, and not with Herter and Monk and Murray coming on. There just wasn't enough. I'm kind of extending how much I talk about each team here because it is a short card. Uh, Washington-Portland... This is an annoying game to handicap for a couple of reasons. The first one being Daniel Gafford got himself into brutal foul trouble. Brutal foul trouble. Five fouls in 14 and a half minutes for Gafford. So we got one piece of data back. As you guys might recall, when I was talking about what I was looking for in this game on yesterday's podcast, I mentioned I want to see what the Wizards look like when Kyle Kuzma comes back. What does that do to Daniel Gafford? And Denny Avdia. Well, we saw what it did to Avdia. Denny has these games every once in a while where he's just not playing as well, but this wasn't, like, a terrible game for Denny. He was in a... His lineup was a plus six when he was on the floor. In fact, every wizard that touched the floor had a, pl- a positive plus minus, which is kind of crazy. Uh, but that's a bad sign for him, that Kuzma coming back pretty much just took all of his stuff. On the other side... I don't really know what it means for Daniel Gafford because as it turns out, Delon Wright played better. So he got like a 10 minute bump in yesterday's ball game. Would those minutes go to Avdia or would those minutes go to Gafford? It's not a one-to-one thing with Washington. And so my take on this after seeing this ball game with Gafford in foul trouble, mind you, is that when everybody is healthy and not dealing with fouls. By the way, Porzingis got in foul trouble in this game a little bit also, but it was a blowout, so it didn't strongly impact the final playing time numbers. Ignoring that, if we can, it seems like with Kuzma back in there, and he's going to get his 30-some-odd minutes, guys like DeLon Wright and Kendrick Nunn and Daniel Gafford and Denny Avdia and Corey Kispert are going to be in a little bit of a hot hand situation. Now, Gafford is starting, which does give him a leg up on the competition. Most games, if he's not in foul trouble, he'll probably hit 23, 24 minutes per game. I don't feel nearly as confident that he gets up into that 29 to 30 range. I feel like uh, at least, you know, three to five of those minutes were probably just because Kuzma was out. And so they had to play Gafford Porzingis together at the big man spots more often, as opposed to Porzingis at the five. Uh, Kuzma sliding up to the four, and then 
the ability to go with more Delon or more Avdi or whatever. However, we don't know. And Gafford's been so damn good lately that, in my opinion, we've got to give him one more ball game. I think. The annoying part is they play tomorrow, so we won't have that information until basically the last second before the All-Star break. But at that point, we'll probably know better. They've got Minnesota. Uh, provided Gafford doesn't foul Anthony Edwards a bunch of times, there aren't that many guys that he's going to be hacking throughout that ball game. I hope. Uh, but then we'll probably know more about whether or not we can roll with Gafford post-break uh, or not. That's where I sit on that one. Try to give him a little bit more time. Anthony Simons had kind of a nasty little ankle sprain uh, towards the end of this ball game. I think the expectation is that he may actually miss time after the All-Star break. And for Portland, you know, what does that mean? Well, they're done before the break. They don't have any more games until... When the hell did they go again? Thursday the 23rd, I think. They're in Sacramento out of the break. My guess is that they have Jeremy Grant back for that one. I don't know if they'll have Yusuf Nurkic back for that one. So even if we assume that Nurk and Simons are out, you probably get a relatively similar lineup construction to what we saw in this ballgame, which was Drew Eubanks, who uh, has looked a little bit better, actually, over the last like two games for the Blazers, uh, as kind of your back-end fill-in center. You got 30 minutes of Matisse Thibel with arguably the lowest usage rate on planet Earth. Two points, one rebound, one assist, four steals. And that's what you have him for. If you have Thibel on your team, it's because you're making a strong push to win steals and blocks. Because he's going to kill you in points and boards and assists. And threes, and it'll be sort of a net neutral in the percentages because he doesn't shoot at all. It'll be a positive in turnovers, most likely. But he can be so hyper elite in steals and blocks that, in nine cat at least, that might actually be enough steals, blocks, and turnovers to kind of counterweight how awful he is in the other things. We shall see. It's very much a, it's a specialist appeal. He makes sense in, frankly, a lot of roto leagues where you're like, man, I wonder how fast I can move up the board in these defensive stats. And you could just deploy Thibel for like two weeks and see if maybe you can get like 15 steals and 10 blocks. That's a big deal. But, you know, head-to-head, -head, he's tough to use full-time. Points league, he'd be impossible to use full-time. And then Cam Reddish played 33 minutes in this ballgame, but at 18 points and almost got himself a boy on, which you guys may recall was that game last year when Bogdanovich... Bogdan Boyan Bogdanovich had like 31 points and five three-pointers and zeros in every other category. He might have had one turnover. That's a Boyan. Reddish almost got a Boyan. One rebound, one assist, one steal. His fantasy game doesn't profile very well. When the Blazers are healthy, I don't think he plays very much because what this team is needed, I thought was actually what Josh Hart was doing, but they traded him off because probably they can't afford it. Uh, and they got a first rounder back in that deal I believe so you know that that counts for something but Thibel actually fits much better with what the Blazers need in their first unit and that's anybody to help on the point of attack on defense so that's where we are with the Blazers and the last game of the night Clippers beat the Warriors in a surprisingly high scoring a game it actually wasn't the pace wasn't nearly as fast as the point total would indicate and that's because the team's shot 54 and 
respectively, and combined for only 19 turnovers in the whole ballgame. Also, how about that Kawhi Leonard? How about it? Kawhi Leonard is now number 17 per game on the season. Over the last two months, Kawhi Leonard is number five behind Jokic, Embiid, KD, who hasn't played very much over that stretch, but still, and Shea. Over the last two months, that's where Kawhi's at. If you're wondering, has it gotten better over the last month? Yep. Number four, he's ahead of Shea. He's behind only Jokic, Kyrie, and Dame over the last month. This was why you took Kawhi near 30 in your Roto Leagues. Not your head-to-head leagues, because we knew it was going to be a bumpy ride. It was never a guy you should have taken in head-to-head. And here's kind of a funny stat on Kawhi Leonard. As completely brutal as this season has been for him, he's now number 76 by totals on the year. By totals. He's in front of John Morant by totals on the year in 14 fewer ballgames. Is that insane or what? That's crazy. He's ahead of Clay Thompson in 13 fewer ballgames. I like Clay. I'm not trying to pick on him. This is the power of having somebody who posts first round value when they're out on the floor. Remember two weeks ago, we were talking about Kawhi and he was just outside the top 100 by totals. It's crazy to blow past 30 players at this point in the league, in the year when you're like, 15 to 20 games behind the guys you're passing. Honest to goodness, by like, by the end of February, he'll probably be in the 50s by totals. There is a legitimate shot for Kawhi Leonard to get near his ADP despite missing effectively two months. That's nuts. It's not as nuts as Nikola Jokic shooting under 50% only one game the entire year, but this is also pretty nuts. And this is why you waited. That's why you waited on Kawhi. Again, you can't draft him in head-to-head. You just can't do it. It'll kill you. A lot of these guys that you know are going to sit a ton of ball games, you can't draft in head-to-head. Other stuff on the Clippers side besides this this Kawhi uh, slobber fest here. Norman Powell has really settled into this this serious gunner role, so he does still belong on rosters. Paul George has pretty much just become the point guard on that team. Eric Gordon made his Clippers debut, re-debut, coming back after a long time away. He was okay, but he's not going to be a fantasy asset the rest of the way. The thing you were really watching, but a bunch of people were like, hey, should we pick up Bones? I was like, what? What are you talking about? When the hell is he going to get... 25 or 30 minutes on this team. No. The thing you should be watching is what does Mason Plumley do to Evita Zubats? And in this ballgame, not a ton. Uh, Zubats struggled to rebound, which is weird. I mean, some of that is just the Warriors, and some of that's everybody made a ton of shots. There were only 36 uh, rebounds acquired by each team in this ballgame. That's a very, very low number. That'll happen when everybody's making buckets. I'm genuinely concerned that as Plumlee settles in with this team, he starts to work his way up towards 20 or 21 minutes. And then for Zubats, especially when you consider the fact that the Clippers will go small ball every once in a while and play Batum or Marcus Morris Sr. at the five, if Zoo and Plumlee are only splitting like 
say, 44 center minutes, which between the two of them yesterday, they were at 45 center minutes, but let's say 44, 45. And if Plumlee's getting even 18 or 19 of those, that's not going to be enough for Zubats. His value came when he cleared like 32 minutes per ball game, and I just I don't see how that happens the rest of the way. So hold on a little bit longer, but my outlook on Zoo is uh, suboptimal. As far as the Warriors go, we were paying attention to Dante DiVincenzo, and then Andrew Wiggins got ruled out for personal reasons late here, so Dante got a start. As far as data goes, collecting data, this doesn't tell us a lot, uh, Dante shoots less when he's jammed in there with the the usage guys like Clay and Jordan Poole in the starting unit. He seems to actually do more offensively when when the path is a little bit clearer for him. Uh, but it does seem like right now DiVincenzo profiles as the... He's kind of in that weird fantasy purgatory right in between schedule stream and full play. Like, full injury stream would be use him in head-to-head, use him in roto, and you don't have to think about it until Steph comes back. Schedule play is you wait until the Warriors have a back-to-back or three games in four nights or four games in six nights or whatever, you know, set you're looking for, and then you use him for that. And this purgatory, and I don't have a name for it, it's right between schedule stream and full stream. It's a partial stream, I guess, which is he probably makes sense on the head-to-head side even if the schedule is only okay. Now, bad schedule, I don't think you could play him there. But an okay schedule or better, he's probably playable head-to-head. And then Roto, eh. Like, if there's one more guy out, like in this one with Wiggins, or if Poole misses a game, or if Clay misses... By the way, Clay played on the back-to-back here. was also a piece of news. But if Clay has to sit one, then, in addition to Steph being out, then you're looking at Dante, and you're like, okay, that's probably enough for Roto. But otherwise... You know, that fringy nature to it. I just, I don't want to blow a games cap on someone where I don't feel more confident in it. Kevon Looney's actually been kind of right in that same area lately. Probably a little bit lower. More like a straight schedule stream for Kevon, but uh, also kind of a rebounding specialist if you're hunting that in whatever format you're doing. All right, let's take a look at what's going on tonight. We'll do the the sort of speed round here on the big-ish Wednesday coming up. And then for our live viewers, we'll pivot into the live chat, which, again, hoping all of you guys on the recorded side will come join over there. Uh, or you can hit me up on Twitter, at Dan Bespris, as per usual, at D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. Mid-show reminder on that one. Again, YouTube.com slash Sports Ethos if you want to join us on the live side. Here's what's going on. On Wednesday, Chicago is in Indiana. Oh, this is interesting. So, overnight for Roto, I tweeted this, but I didn't have a chance to talk about it yesterday all that much. I I think I mentioned it in passing on the podcast. I picked up Alex Caruso in a bunch of Roto leagues in the hopes that he plays and DeMar doesn't. I believe DeMar is doubtful. Caruso is a game-time call. But last time we saw DeMar miss, what, two, three games? With the quad thing, whatever it was, three weeks ago, Caruso was huge in those games. His fantasy numbers were monstrous. I will absolutely sacrifice some like low upside rest of season guy on my roto side to see if I can ring a couple of top 75 games out of Caruso here. Or maybe it's just one. I don't know. Damar, I think it was grade one this on his strain, so he might very well be back after the All-Star break. He's super durable, but also the Bulls look awful, so maybe they... 
start to pivot in a different direction. Chicago, Chicago's a place we should be keeping our eyes open for possible shutdown stuff. I think they're going to push here, but they've looked so bad lately. And if they start to fall out of the picture by... I mean, we're probably still like a solid four to five weeks away from the Bulls pulling the plug on anything, so it's not imminent. But if or when it does happen, Caruso, if he's playing, Patrick Williams, Io DeSunmu, even Kobe White, these guys all could be silly season dudes. But for now, just Caruso is the guy I'm watching today and trying to squeeze into my roto lineups, If again, if he plays in DeMar Sitz. Indiana, uh, Miles Turner is the question mark. If he plays, obviously, then you just wipe everybody out. If he doesn't, we saw Isaiah Jackson look pretty good, even relieving Daniel Tice. Love to see that again. San Antonio. I believe Trey Jones has already been ruled out, which means you can probably stream Devontae Graham in most formats. Malachi Branham, more so in points leagues or some head-to-head builds. Uh, Jeremy Sohan, I, I don't remember the last update on him. I believe, uh, I believe he's in, um, if I got that wrong and I apologize, some part of trying to track a thousand players here first thing in the morning. Uh, he also, again, profiles more on that head-to-head or points league side. Um, and then Zach Collins has been pretty good everywhere. Oh, Charlotte, I do love watching Mark Williams cook. Should be fun, especially against a tanking team. That, that could be an interesting and fun one. Cleveland, nothing. Philly, uh, you know, De'Anthony Melton. This is like, he's got two more chances in my eyes at this point. I'm not going to stick with him forever. I do want to give him a pretty long leash here because he's been so good. Uh, but it feels more and more like he needs a backcourt guy to be out now that Jalen McDaniels is in town. And as far as I know, there are no backcourt guys out for Philly tonight. New York, do we get starter Josh Hart in this ballgame? He's been incredible in his two games with the Knicks. That's pretty much all I'm worried about there. Uh, Anybody else that you're thinking about on the Knicks as a fringe play is more of a schedule stream at best. Atlanta, I think I just saw a John Collins update flash by. Yeah, he participated in in shoot-around today. So... What does that look like for John now with Sadiq Bey backing him up? And DeAndre Hunter, there's there's just a little bit more in the kind of big wing part of the proceedings there. Um, I, I think John Collins actually has a pretty good end of the year now that he doesn't have to worry about trade rumors anymore. But, you know, I guess we'll see. For Miami, Tyler Hero is still doubtful. He might have been ruled out already, but I'm pretty sure he's at least doubtful. Uh, Lowry's out, so I think you can stream Gabe Vincent. You can maybe stream Max Struess, and that's about as far as I'd go. For Brooklyn, I kind of want to see what Cam Thomas does because we saw Brooklyn in their last ball game. They really struggled to score in the second half. He can score. He's probably the second-best creator on the team behind Spencer Dinwiddie. It kind of feels like they need him out there. So keep a close watch on Brooklyn. I wouldn't drop Cam Thomas yet. If we see him with very little opportunity over the next two-ish ball games, then I'd probably move on, especially when there are so many hot pickups right now. So it's harder to hold someone when there are great dudes out on the wire. Uh, but it does, I mean, we, you guys all saw that last ball game. Brooklyn looked pretty good for the first half. Then the Knicks started trying on defense, and the Nets couldn't score at all. For now, it's the same four guys for Brooklyn. Cam Johnson, Spencer Dinwiddie, Nick Claxton and uh, Mikel Bridges, but hang on to Thomas if you can, just a little bit longer. 
I don't think you need to hang on to Ben Simmons. He's getting dragged everywhere right now. Um, that dude's career might just kind of be over. Detroit, do we get the debut of James Wiseman? There's been a lot of chatter about whether he's going to start. And there was a report that was like, oh, James Wiseman is going to start. But I'm pretty sure that the full quote was if he earns it. So my guess is Wiseman's coming off the bench behind Isaiah Stewart and Jalen Duran. I am not worried about Duran. He's been incredible. Uh, they love him. He's the future big man there. I'd be a little bit worried about Stewart. Um, but Wiseman is not someone that I'm picking up before I see how this goes. I, again, there's just so many hot pickups that are like basically locked into value. Why would I? Why would I take a flyer on someone? How many damn roster slots do I have at this point? We had three rest of season pickups from the trade deadline. How many roster slots do we need? Zombie Celtics. We already talked about them at the uh, beginning of the show because they played yesterday. The Rockets. I mean, I like I said, I think Tari Eason is probably not going to do it this year. We, uh, like I've been saying, they needed a forward to get traded. He didn't, but, you know, you can keep an eye on it. Oklahoma City, this should be a very high-scoring game. Um, curious to see if Dario Saric gets in the mix. Curious if Jeremiah Robinson Earl's minutes ramp up. What does that mean for some of the other guys like Kenrich Williams, Jay Lynn Williams, stuff like that, but, you know, nothing huge there. For Utah, not a whole lot of big stuff either. I think we we pretty much have it nailed down what that team's going to look like here for the next however many weeks. Memphis, uh, they got a couple of pieces floating around, but I don't expect them to be big impact guys. So, uh, you know, just the same old schedule stream stuff at, at the Steven Adams replacement post. Dallas, just another opportunity to see what Luka and Kyrie look like together. What is Christian Wood uh, what does his minute total look like in this ball game? And then Josh Green, what does he look like as we're seeing the sort of hot game, cold game stuff? Does he level off somewhere uh, fantasy usable? My guess is barely yes. That's my guess for Josh Green. Denver, uh, Jamal Murray, I believe, is questionable for this one. I think they probably sit him. Uh, just to like, give them the all-star break. There's sort of no reason to push it, although I'm sure they'd love to beat the new-look Mavs and just kind of slap them down a little bit. Um, and Aaron Gordon, I actually haven't seen an update on him. But, you know, if anybody's out, you play Bruce Brown. Same story. For the Pellies, we saw Josh Richardson had a really good ball game last time out. I, I wonder if he'll do that again. And if he truly does settle into that kind of role here, then we can give him another look. Uh, watch list material right now. Herb Jones will probably have a really good game against the Lakers, a disjointed new chemistry-building Lakers club. That always means turnovers. And Steele's guys benefit in a big way when they're playing a team that's likely to have extra turnovers. So I like Herb. I think Trey Murphy, he played really well against the Lakers in New Orleans. Uh, cooled off a little bit in his last ball game, but had some blocks. I think I would start both of those guys. And then, you know, Brandon Ingram always kicks butt against his old team. As far as the Lakers go, I don't think I'd start anybody besides Braun, AD, and D'Angelo. Uh, but I am extremely curious what this team looks like here with Mo Bamba's suspension finished that he started in Orlando. Uh, and then you got Vanderbilt and Beasley also with opportunities to do stuff. Um, that's, again, probably more interesting on the reality side, but, you know, whatever. 
And now I got to go get my kid from preschool. So thanks for hanging with us, everybody. This was Fantasy NBA Today, a sports ethos presentation. We'll have a big wrap-up on this huge Wednesday. Tomorrow's card on Thursday morning around 9 o'clock a.m. Pacific time. We'll get that bad boy fired up. Thank you to my recorded listeners. You guys are the best. I'll see you guys on social media later on today. So long for now.